0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. I'm here in probably what I will say is uh, one of the coolest places I think I've ever been able to record a podcast. Now I've had done some pretty impressive places like my living room and my car. So this is this is pretty much up there with them. So for those that haven't listened to the No Breaking Podcast before, it's where we like to go and talk to our people about how they got into the automotive industry and today. I'm really looking forward to talking to Mitch Snow, who is the manager of new business development here at Polyphony Digital. Now, I've been practicing that for so long because I've been pronouncing Polyphony for wrong for like years and years and years. So, Mitch, thank you first for telling me how to pronounce it correctly and for taking the time here to talk to me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Mitch, as we dive right into it here in this, should we just talk about the, the space here where we're at first so you can give our listeners some idea of what
1: where we're at? Yeah, uh, so this is our U.S. Explorer studio Mm -hmm. in Santa Monica, California. We just moved here about three or four months ago from a little studio in Venice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is kind of an incubator of sorts, figuring out ways where we can expand the Grand Trismo and Polyphony's brand in new ways and uh, figure out what we can do to really grow our, our franchise as a whole. And it's a little bit different to most, uh,
0: I will say, offices that I've been to, especially in regards to this. So what is it that you feel makes this more unique in regards to its setup? For those, obviously, the listeners that can't see that, we're, like, what we're looking around now.
1: You know, it's very unique. Uh, it's a, a large open space, very unique architecture. Uh, so much of Gran Turismo is about unique design and aesthetics and attention to detail. And uh, Unfortunately, we're still moving in. we we're a very small office here and have been on the road quite a bit since moving in. We're still waiting on some furniture to come in and get installed, but eventually, maybe we'll have this place be a, a location where we can host cars and coffees and uh, be a little bit more engaged with the community and, and show the world what Gran Turismo is all about. Um, not just from a business side, but but from a, a personal side as well. Fantastic, and then so before we, we start talking about your role here, um, why
0: don't we take a step back and talk about how you sort of fell into the automotive industry? What was it originally that that, that caught your eye about cars in general? How did that all come about?
1: Well, I uh, so I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, mm-hmm. which is known for uh, a big mountain, America's Mountain, Pikes Peak. Yep. And my my grandparents they grew up, or my great grand, pardon my grandparents, grew up in South Dakota, and they were moving to. California, actually, and my grandpa stopped, met with one of his buddies from from the military in Colorado Springs, and they just fell in love with the the environment and atmosphere and everything that it had to offer, and decided to raise their family there and From there, he opened his own shop, snow automotive, and started a, his business where he really specialized in carburetors and started sponsoring the race at a very very small local level and uh, working with the the event organizers, helping out on the technical committee and opening his garage doors to competitors coming from out of state and out of the country to give them kind of home away from home and show them what Colorado Springs is all about. Um, so he did that, had my, my dad. My dad went on to, to race and be one of the first mini sprints to ever race up Pikes Peak just about a year before I was born. And I've been going to the race ever since I was about, Four years old. I don't think I've missed a year since. And um, growing up around my grandpa so much, he was kind of our our daycare. We would go to his shop, and he had a, a pretty good sized lot. And we were about six and eight, my brother and I, and he would just throw us the keys to his Ford Explorer and let us drive around the lot and do whatever we wanted, kind of unsupervised. And we just fell in love with cars. And uh, I mean the taught us how to drive and the first car we ever drove was like a 1919 ford model t okay it's very unique stuff so yeah we we kind of fell in love with it from from a very young age and went on to race carts and uh going into to school i actually wanted to do broadcast journalism and be a sports reporter and do espn and all that and um so you can give me some tips then you know i i could if i didn't abandon that goal uh, after my, my freshman year of college at Colorado State, I did an internship at a local news station, and when it came to doing coverage for the hill climb, um, I, I guess I never really realized that other people didn't care about motorsports mm-hmm. until I was put in a situation where everyone cares about baseball and football, so on and so forth. So I kind of fell into to my zone there and kind of led coverage as like an 18-year-old kid, uh, figuring out you know these this is who we need to interview this is what's going on this is the significant story and from there I I pursued an internship with the hill climb itself and um, after doing that for a couple summers I actually decided to leave school early uh, to pursue that full-time just you know college today especially when you're paying for it on your own it
0: can be a little bit expensive
1: it's expensive and, and I was a communications major and it it's kind of just a degree to get a degree. It's nothing that is so specialized that you're really going to benefit from it. Well, like we're not saying an so anything
0: against people who are studying communications. Not at all.
1: I, I learned so much from it um, yes, that but, I now
0: realize. Yeah, and but obviously some positions or
1: some careers or destinies may have you might take you in other directions. Exactly. I, it was something that just very frust- was frustrating to me at the time, uh, feeling that I I was learning so much more in the field as an intern and, and working in the summers at the race than, than what I was getting from the classroom in itself. And to be putting money into it in one hand was, was frustrating in itself. So I decided to, to chase new opportunities. And, and even if you're not getting paid much, if you're getting paid to learn, that's a, that's a huge opportunity. It's yeah, something long, that you can really grab onto. As long as it can cover all your bills, right? You know, it, I, it didn't even do that, I was working what? at a liquor store part time <laughs> slinging booze, and you know it if it, it gave me an opportunity to to go and chase my dreams and do what I love and yeah, working at a liquor store was was fun. it wasn't as much fun as being on Pike's Peak well it doesn't I, I thought journalism and liquor went hand in hand basically anyway anyway, right you know and when, when you're a young kid and you have a baby face and you can talk a little bit about wine, it, it really helps hey, there you go see <laughs> so
0: what was it then obviously? Can you go into a little more detail about then what you were doing then with Pikes Peak when you went when you took that step away from college to to look to it full time?
1: Yeah, so when I when I went there, it, there were just two full time employees, and uh, when I came on part time, I was two point five. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, there it's amazing what that organization is able to do. Uh, 365 with such little little staff and support. There's hundreds of volunteers and race officials that make the race possible but in the office you're doing everything from doing all the media accreditation to ordering porter potties to selling sponsorship fulfilling the sponsorship yep. writing press releases um, running all the social media getting, getting everything out there possible uh, while also dealing with a, a forest service that has given a special use permit to the city of Colorado Springs to maintain and operate the highway and then being able to put on a one-day event on the side of a 14,000-foot mountain uh, just for one day out of the year with thousands of hay bales and about 10,000 spectators uh, just just the logistics and operationally getting that many people up there and making sure that we're putting them in a safe environment, figuring out safety plans for what's going to happen. If a forest fire starts during the race, Mm -hmm. uh, how to get everyone out safely or to get them to safety. Um, How can we make sure that this race is uh, as safe as possible being the most dangerous race in the world and preserve it so that this is something that can be celebrated a hundred years from now. We also created a, It's actually a 501c3 nonprofit uh, Mm -hmm. as an educational foundation. So making sure to preserve as much of the history as possible and share it with people as well. So we actually were able to open a new museum, which was incredible to work on and be able to have a a place where we can share the race with people 365 days out of the year. Um, It was very incredible. And and really what it's all about, the the purpose is to preserve the, the past and inspire the future.
0: Okay, and then so what have, obviously with your time with the organization, seeing the race up close and personal, what have been some of the highlights of some of the things that you've seen happen?
1: Yeah, you know, growing up as a kid, seeing the race be completely dirt Mm -hmm. uh, is something that I really cherish, being able to go up there with my dad and grandpa and uh, see these guys that were just my heroes run, and then um, to go through the transition of paving year by year and seeing the race struggle. Uh, when I got involved was the the first year that it was completely paved okay so to be able to uh, be involved in what 's kind of the first year of a new era of mm-hmm. uh, a century old race uh, was very unique and to be able to work alongside some of those heroes um, and be able to have an impact in creating the opportunity for them to do um, items that have been their career goals was incredible. Uh, Up until this past year, I had been at the summit for every single um, sub-10 minute run in the race's history, which I thought being a a history geek with the event was really cool. Uh, Reese Millen was one of my childhood heroes, and uh, in 2012, to be able to tell him that he had beat Romain Damas for the overall while setting a new overall record by 17 hundredths of a second was. Uh, just really surreal um, to be able to, to tell your hero that they just accomplished a life goal that their father had done before them Yeah, um, was, was really cool um, to, even just playing that small of a role was something that, that was so fulfilling and rewarding and got me hooked and to see Sebastian Loeb come back the next year and do what he did and Nobu Hero Tajima to move on to the electric vehicles and really show the potential of what electric can do in the world uh, was incredible and to see what Volkswagen's done this past year was was fascinating as well and I, I think this is just the the start of a, a bright future for Pikes Peak and it, it's something that it's so hard to uh, spectate and see and is not very accessible but it, it's something that if promoted and put up in the right way uh can be at, uh uh Put on the same level as what the Nordschleife is mm-hmm. in in Germany. Um, it, but it's actually more challenging. You, anybody can go and run for a record of the Nordschleife any day. There's no sanctioning body that's keeping track of the records. Yep, You can do 365 days out of the year. Pikes Peak, you get one run, one shot, one day out of the year.
0: Yeah, there's no pressure really with that, is Not, there? None at all. None at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it is certainly impressive when you think of it that one time now if we talk about that for spectators then one we uh one of our previous guests uh Lindbergh, gets some pretty important advice for anyone going to spectate the event but his was more about bathroom related mm-hmm. so have you got any more other practical advice you could give
1: any of our listeners
0: what they might think if they wanted to go watch the race
1: yeah if you ever go to the pike the the one thing to really do is Make sure that you're hydrating before, mm-hmm. even the week leading up, make sure you're drinking as much water as possible, eating as healthy as possible. Uh, the worst thing that can happen to you is getting altitude sickness. It'll make for just a miserable time. And even though it, it can be fun, make sure when you are watching the race up there to to limit your alcohol intake. Okay. Because uh, a, a six pack of beer will hit you a lot harder up there than it will about anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know you don't want to be the person that is creating the issue that actually has to stop the entire race to get you off the mountain and ruin the opportunity for you don't, someone. You to... don't
0: want to be that guy. Exactly. Or go. Let's be honest. Exactly. You don't be it that goes person. both ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so what else? Is there any other tips you'd give them? Uh, you know, I, other than that, I think the the best thing possible is to always view at your own discretion. Okay. Uh, make sure that you're looking out for cars and and trying to hear for them. The electric cars can be very hard to hear and they do run sirens, but it can still be difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, The best thing that you can do to ensure your own safety is to be uh, on the inside of corners and as highly elevated above the racing surface as possible it's a lot harder for a car to go up a hill than it is to fall down on top of you. Yeah. And sometimes at Pikes Peak, they do tend to fall down as well. You You know, know. they fall down and now that, that there's pavement, it's actually become more dangerous. Cars would never go off on the inside of a corner before the, the paving. And and now you, with all wheel drive, cars start to lose traction. They just continue to rotate and have started to go off on the inside. It's something that, uh, you really got to look out for yourself and others. If mm-hmm. someone's being careless, um, make sure to, to keep them in line and, and help regulate within yourselves um, to ensure that this is a race that will will last another 100 plus years.
0: Look, I think it's all very, very good advice. But let's, after we've covered your, your time at, at Pikes Peak, how did you then manage to make the transition over here to where you are today?
1: You know, I I had actually met, some individuals at Gran Turismo uh, when I was at the hill climb and had brought them on as a the presenting sponsor of the race and just developed a a good friendship with them Uh, and over the years uh, we talked more and more and it just led one thing to another after accomplishing some of my personal goals at the race Um, one of them being to to get Ken Block and the Hoonigans to come and do climb Kana. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I really just reached a point where it became repetitive and I I wasn't quite as challenged as I used to be. Uh, And I thought that moving on to something new could could create new opportunities where I'm uh, outside of my comfort zone and have to think and work in new unique ways and um, just push myself personally. Um, So after a couple of years, we uh, put something together, and I I joined Gran Turismo uh, March of 2018. Okay, um, have been
0: here since. Yes, that's just over a year then. Mm-hmm. And so, how has that year been for you then?
1: You know, it, it's been incredible. Uh, I'm kind of the the typical American where we haven't really I didn't grow up going to to foreign countries and experiencing what the world has to offer and. Mm-hmm. Uh, just within a short year of being at Gran Turismo, I've seen parts of the world that I never thought I would, and I'm um, experienced cultures that are are so unique and give me so much more perspective on what this world has to offer. Uh, so, so, where are some of the places you've been at? Uh So, we we've hosted world tour events for the FIA certified Gran Turismo championships in Salzburg, Austria, uh, Tokyo, Japan, where our headquarters are. Uh, Monaco was where we had our world finals. Uh, We've been to Madrid uh, for our European Championships. Uh, The Nürburgring for the 24-hour race. We hosted an event there last year, and we'll actually be heading out there in a couple weeks uh, for, for this year's round um just places that are, i've so always places seen.
0: that are awful places that you never ever want to visit yeah, again. It's, it's basically a, it's a real drag to yeah, get yourself out of bed to go to a, those ones
1: it's a tough tough time to yeah
0: so you know what i've got to get out of bed they got to head to monaco yeah it's i awful. gotta go
1: to monaco it's,
0: it's a difficult life
1: it's a tough week of work
0: yeah yeah so so tell us then about what your role is and expand on what the, the championship is and then and then what you guys are doing here
1: so we we have a team within the, the Explorer Studio that uh, is kind of working on the backbone of all things development within the championship itself. Uh, about six years ago, the FIA was approaching uh, various video game developers to try and expand their presence within uh, sim racing and esports. And at the end of that, they ended up deciding that they wanted to form a partnership with Polyphony. Uh, and from there, we've been working on developing a championship. So Grand Turismo Sport, our latest title, has been very focused on eSports and online competition. Um, Yamaguchi-san has a, a very um, honorable goal of wanting to create Motorsport's first pickup basketball game, okay. or equivalent. Uh, if you look at Motorsport, it's always been something that you have to have a ton of money mm-hmm. or have deep family roots to to get involved with. It's not something that you just pick up and start participating in. Yeah, um, It's very inaccessible, and at the end of the day, it's mainly just a bunch of white guys. Yeah. Um, this is something that we want to create an environment that, from your living room, with a very minimal investment, you can actually uh, get experience that will relate to the real world, that can get... Uh, new demographics and groups of people interested in motorsport at a a very accessible uh, format, something that really brings motorsport to the world and makes it relatable to others
0: and then so, what are some of the the challenge we 'll cover the two things the challenges and the rewards that you 've seen in your like just over fifteen months here so what are some of the challenges you 've seen that you 've had to like try and overcome because I guess that obviously it 's a quite a new form of motorsport really esports in general right
1: it is we've been creating the championship and we take a lot of pride in doing as much as possible uh, internally so we're not outsourcing um, a ton of what we're doing we're doing everything from the competition format uh, the regulations internally with uh, cooperation from the FIA itself Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a legitimate FIA certified championship where the actual champions are going to the the Champions Galas and being honored alongside the Formula One champion, the World Rally champion, so on and so forth. Um, So it's a very legitimate competition. We want to put it as high of a production quality as possible so that it's something that reflects both the the standards that we establish for ourselves, but those that the FIA sets for for their partners as well. Um, So with the first event that we hosted, there's always things that pop up and you need to adjust and adapt from one event moving on to the other. Uh, From a very early stage, we've placed a very high importance on wanting to make this something that we can share with the world. So from our first event, we started doing our live stream broadcasts in six separate languages uh, to ensure that we could have it as accessible as possible to all of our fans. We've expanded into seven now and uh, are just looking to even broaden the ways that we are actually broadcasting those races, how they're being distributed so that we can actually get them in front of more people uh, to To say, Hey, are you going to go watch the FIA GTC race this weekend? It doesn't really get people that excited because they don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. But it once you get that action in front of people and they actually see it, um, not only does it look realistic because of the high quality of the graphics that are within the game itself, but it's something that's very engaging and captivating because of the balance performance that we're able to put within the vehicles. So that it's almost, um, it's comparable to Rallycross, for instance, Okay. in the captivating essence of its very sh- short sprint races. But instead of running the same track heat after heat after heat, We're able to go from Formula One cars racing at the Nordschleife one lap or one race and then move on to Suzuka with um, touring cars the next race. Be able to show the variety that these drivers are able to um, perform at high levels and not with just one type of vehicle. Uh, Keep things very dynamic and engaging. It's something that if you were able to get it on in a sports bar, it would keep people captivated and maybe get them interested in motorsports when it's something that they've never really enjoyed prior to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say that I saw the 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 America's final at SEMA last year. And it was, as as funny as it sounds, you, if you tell someone, well, as I told my wife, I said, tonight I'm going to go watch some teenage boys play video games at a nightclub. She was a bit surprised by that. But when I actually went and you go and sat down and you get to watch, it it really was incredibly interesting to watch. See how they were able to take the pressure with the competition that it was, because it was, as you said, a, a fairly highly ranked, prestigious competition. It was really enjoyable to see them go through all the motions of it.
1: Yeah, it's something that you know we're just in the early stages of right now, and it's it's almost like we're trying to rewrite the the future of motorsports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, motorsports has never been safer than it is today. And they've they've made huge advancements, but fortunately, most of those advancements have come from fatalities. Yeah. And the need for change. Mm-hmm. This is the only way that you can make motorsports 100% safe. And and I think that's something that will really be captivating moving forward to provide opportunities for for young drivers and even older drivers that have never really uh, been able to invest the time and money into pursuing a career. Yeah, I know that my dad very
0: much enjoys it. Because uh, He started back when he was doing his first online forms of racing with Grand Prix Legends, mm-hmm. which I still think to this day he's never been able to manage more than three laps without crashing. But then again, it is Grand Prix Legends, which I understand to be one of the more challenging mm-hmm. games. But, he, I mean, it's enjoyable. And the fact that I can compete against him being in different sides of the world and then our, our scores, for example. Obviously, we're talking about well, family battles as opposed to uh, certified championship
1: battles, which probably a little, we're a little bit, maybe a step down in regards to that. Yeah, but, but the, it's all practice makes perfect, right? Well, it is, and really, racing's for, for everyone yeah. at this level. It, it's all about creating a, a global community of racing. Mm-hmm. You you don't have to be one of the top guys, and it it's ridiculous how fast these guys actually are. I I like to think that I'm pretty fast myself, but when I see these guys' times, they're five, six seconds ahead of me, and it's like, where are you making up? Six this, seconds Yeah, yeah. Where, On a one minute 30 track How do you are, make up that six seconds Which corners are you cutting Because I need to find them Yeah. Um, but but I'm still able to connect with my friends Back home in Colorado mm-hmm. And uh, even friends that I've made abroad And race against them online And uh, even if you just open Enter an open lobby uh, And are racing against guys that One of the coolest things is that w- There have been so many members of This Gran Turismo community That have been racing against each other For decades and at these live events, it's the first time they've ever met each other, but they're able to, oh, you're, you're TRL Lightning, I remember this race, you were doing this, and oh, that was such a great pass, and they they have these instantaneous bonds and friendships that they've created without ever meeting each other from separate sides of the world. And, and I think on that note too, sim racing as a whole and creating this connected world is something that professional drivers will start taking advantage of as a an additional social media tool where they can interact with their fans. Um, if you're Lewis Hamilton and you say, "Hey, I'm jumping on GT Sport. Um, come join my lobby," and your fans can actually go and drive with you and have a conversation and connect without you even having to leave your your living room. Um, that that's something that you can't experience at at any other level, even even if you have Ronaldo getting on and playing FIFA with someone, if you beat Ronaldo in FIFA, it doesn't mean you're better at soccer. No. It, but if you're if you beat Lewis in a sim race, it, it there's legitimacy to that. These skills relate in the real world.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's not just obviously to have the community of the people that are racing, but there's also within the game, I mean, the game has changed to do, it's not just about racing, as we talked offline before, I mean, there's other aspects of the game, it's all about where you can do the photography and things like Mm -hmm. that, that's, I mean, if I even talk about my experience of when I first played Gran Turismo itself, I remember at university. Uh, we had my friend Carl had his Playstation he said he borrowed Gran Turismo I should come and play it because we finished class for the day so I did and that was like on a Thursday and then Thursday afternoon and then Friday I went to the store bought a Playstation bought Gran Turismo and I was playing it Friday night owning it I was like that was like yeah I was like this is it that's the one this is where it, it was a game changer I was like yeah done
1: yeah and it you know there's it, it's very unique because Gran Turismo it was the first real game that had real cars, yeah, uh it was, and then you could modify as well, exactly, and Yamuchan said when when he first created Grand Turismo, it was so hard to get any manufacturer to even allow him to recreate their cars in the game, yeah, um, so it was a huge leap of faith and but it's something that has gone on to create automotive enthusiasts, there are so many individuals that. Have not only learned about cars from Gran Turismo, but become involved in them, and now they're executives within the automotive industry. Uh, it's part of what created their passion, their path, and led them to explore new things. I,
0: I mean, I even like it because, uh, for example, some of the Gran Turismo tracks in the first one, the, the first series of games, where I've been able to be just on those streets, for example, in Tokyo. When I was like, "Well, oh, this is in the Gran Turismo," I mean, it's it's unreal when you go from playing the video game to actually. Like riding your bicycle on these streets.
1: Real cool. Exactly. It, it's like you, you've you been there. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of strange. It's a very weird feeling. Yeah. You're like, I, I've been here, but I know I haven't, And but I know what to do, and yeah. I know what's coming. It's uh, surreal. Yeah. Uh, it's it, But it, it's a great feeling. I mean,
0: it's one that's, that's really positive, and it's one that you can, so, I mean, at my guess that's why it makes it so relatable as well and then the idea obviously of having your own garage of cars mm-hmm. and you can have all different types of cars as long as you win enough money or credits or whatever to, to purchase them and whatnot but that's just a great thing i mean it gave you the opportunity to be like i really want
1: to buy this car it provides a sense of ownership and uh, helps you interact with vehicles in new ways i for example, I never was a, a huge fan of the, the new Supra until it came into the game and I started driving it and I was like, Man, this this is easily my new new favorite car within the game. It's squirrely, it slides all over the place, but not in an uncontrollable fashion. Uh it's something that really changed my personal perspective on the vehicle and just created an environment where it's like, you know, maybe maybe one day I'll I'll try and buy a Supra.
0: Yeah. I mean, so can you tell us a little bit, uh, uh, or what you can tell us about what you guys have got planned then for the remainder of 2019? Yeah, for
1: so for 2019, we're um, oh, and then beyond as well, I should say as well. Yeah, we well the, beyond, uh, that beyond that's a little hush hush for okay. Now. All right, but, well, just 2019 then. Yeah, for for 2019, uh, in a couple of weeks here, um, I believe the third weekend of the month, we'll mm-hmm. be having our uh, world tour event at the Nurburgring 24 hour race. So we'll have about sixty-six of the world's top players competing in the Nations Cup Championship and the Manufacturer Series Championship. Uh winners from the Nation C- Cup round will actually automatically qualify for the World Finals, which will be held in Monaco later this year. Okay. Um, after that we'll actually be having a world tour event in New York City. And this one's gonna be completely open to the public. Uh so check out the Grantruth's most social channels for more information on how you can actually attend that. Uh, later on in the year. It's going to be, I believe, August 24th and 25th at PlayStation Theater okay. in uh, Times Square. should be a great event. Just like uh, Nürburgring, it's going to be about 66 of the top drivers from uh, across the world. Uh, and then following that, we'll be having another event at Red Bull Hangar 7 in Salzburg, Austria, followed by another World Tour event uh, in Tokyo, and then the World Final.
0: Okay, so it looks like another busy year of travel for you, Then is what you're saying. It,
1: it will be, but, uh, you know, it's it's only the second year of the championship, and as we continue to do this, we're learning so much more about how to make the championship more efficient and engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it, it's going to be a, a good year and really excited to see how things develop moving into year three uh, as we kind of hit stride in knowing better of, of how to make these events as, as great as possible.
0: And then for the social media side of the business, is it all at the Gran Turismo?
1: Is that what it is? I can't remember. For For Facebook, it's Gran Turismo Official. Okay. Um, and then I believe Twitter and Instagram is at um, the Gran Turismo.
0: Okay. And then before we we sign off, I just want to touch base because obviously I met you very, very briefly uh, when I was hosting an event at the Peterson Museum for Climb Kana. So... I understand, obviously, in talking to the team at Hoonigan, you were quite influential in getting that all put together. So can you talk a bit about how that sort of came about and how you get to go from, obviously, working with that and creating an experience of sorts to get that video made?
1: Yeah, it uh, it's a very unique story. Um, so I my brother and I grew up racing, and when I went to college, I stopped doing that. My brother continued, and... Uh, I had seen something where there was uh, actually a, an open test for Global Rallycross's Light Series mm-hmm. at the time, and I was like, you know, Trevor, you gotta, you gotta check this out. So I signed him up for it, and we got, went out, did it. It was great. And from that point on, I was put on a Global Rallycross stakeholders email list. And then a couple years go by, and I'm doing stuff at the hill climb, and I get a press release from GRC and the the PR agency had actually messed up in sending out the the note itself and all the recipients were not blind copied they were all cc'd so I had a about 300 email addresses that I was just going crazy over I was like oh these are all the people that I've wanted to connect about this and this and this uh... so I was actually able to get Ken and Brian Scotto's email addresses from that and reached out to Ken said you know I know you." Global Rally Cross at the time, which was the series he was running, used the same timing and scoring group as Pikes Peak. So they say, you know, we, we've locked uh, Kevin and Kathy with North Country timing and scoring in for the next five years. Here's our projected race dates. So if you ever want to come and participate in the race, know that you're not going to have a conflicting event as long as you're running in GRC. Uh, and then also mention that there was a, a concept for a Gymkhana film that I'd like to pitch to them if they ever had time and uh, a couple of weeks later I got a response from him saying you know we'd love to race Pikes Peak it's not going to work out this year but I'd love to hear more about your concept uh, could you be out in Salt Lake City and meet with my team next week so I took it to my bosses and uh, they were kind of skeptical I, I'd always come to them with all these big dreams of, oh we need to do this and that and even as an intern I said we need to do a gymkhana on Pikes Peak, and uh, when it came to it, it was actually I think Martin Luther King's Day weekend. So I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna take vacation time and go out and do this, or you guys can let me go, um, but I'm not gonna be here on Tuesday. So I went out and met with the guys, um, created a, an entire deck, uh, coined Clem Khana, put it together. Uh, kind of as a way to pay tribute to. Uh, Climb Dance and what it did for and the search so j- era of Pikes
0: Peak. I'll just say, so can you enlighten
1: some of the people who may not know what Climb Dance is? Mm-hmm. So Climb Dance was a 1990s French film uh, produced around Peugeot's record effort, uh, labeled as being a, an Ari Vatanen film, but much of the footage that is actually captured when it itself is actually Robbie Hunter as well. Uh, but it is. It's probably the most iconic automotive film of its time, for sure, and one of the most uh, of all time. Something that went viral decades before YouTube was even a thing, uh, and something I, that's could just buy, iconic.
0: but on Duke Video, I would say back in mm-hmm. the day.
1: Exactly. So it, it was something that was just very unique in seeing Pikes Peak struggle so much, uh, going through the transition where they're paving one mile a year. From about 2001 to 2012, we I came up with the idea of wanting to try and emulate that dirt sliding fashion that Ari Vatanen and all of my childhood heroes were doing on Pikes Peak, but in um, a way that we're embracing this new future of Pikes Peak. the The dirt's something that we always will love, and um, we might not. Always be excited about the pavement, but it's something that needs to be embraced. And I thought there was no better way to show the world what Pikes Peak is all about and bring it to a new audience than by using the the marketing genius of Ken and his team and his incredible driving skills to share it with the world. Uh, so we put together that presentation, showed it to the team, and then probably took about a year and a half, two years to actually make anything happen. Um, finding funding to do the project itself, getting approval from the forest service to have cars come up and drive in destructive ways while still convincing them that tourists aren't gonna go and try and replicate it themselves, um, while also trying to promote the city and show the world what what Pikes Peak and Colorado Springs has to offer. Um, so it was, it was just a, a very unique opportunity and, and something that was uh, incredible and really a dream come true for me to see guys that I had studied and researched for years um, come to my backyard and do what they do best. It was, was just incredible and truly humbling. Um, it, was, it was really a dream come true.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you guys did a fantastic job of it. I mean, Climb Karner is a wonderful piece
1: of filmmaking well thank you it was uh really cool to to have them come out and and really do what they do best and uh i was so excited to see the gymkhana files come out and show people actually what goes on to uh, make those videos possible because i would scour everything on the internet prior to climb and the pitch to figure out okay what what actually logistically is necessary to make this possible? How much funding is required? Um, what do we need safety wise and so on and so forth, so that when we did actually go and make that pitch, it was something that you know wasn't just "Hey, we have this mountain, come, come, do cool stuff up it." It was something you know here's a plan where we can actually make this a viable thing um you know here's ways that we could potentially bring sponsors to the project and um, make it easier on you all and so on and so forth uh, to to ensure that it, it happens, that it wasn't just something that was beneficial for Pikes Peak, but it was something that, that was great for their organization as well because at the end of the day, it it wouldn't be possible without them.
0: Yeah. But, Mitch, it's been absolutely fantastic talking today. So if we can touch on, again, the, the maybe the three areas of where we need to focus here, our social media
1: focus. So if we go, where can people find stuff about Pikes Peak? Pike Peak's all at uh, at Pike's Peak Hill Climb and uh Pike's Peak official site or, or I'm sorry Pike's Peak official, Pike's Peak Hill Climb official site for their Facebook page. Uh and then for myself it's at Rev Snow Job. Uh my grandpa's automotive shop. They'd always say that this car is at a snow job with a sticker on the air filter and always taking great pride in what they do. So might sound a little weird to uh, to follow something with snow job, but that's uh Oh, look, little, I, little story on that.
0: I like it. I like it, and then obviously again for the uh, for your work here on what's happened with the championship.
1: Yeah, at the Grand Turismo, uh, and follow the hashtags FIAGTC for Grand Turismo ch- Championship and um, we'd hope to see you all follow along and love to see you come out to New York and follow along in that event there and experience it in real life.
0: No, it, it's it is fantastic. I, I cannot say enough. It was it's wonderful and I like that I can compete bet maybe a few seconds down behind them, but the funny is they don't get to lap me cuz it's just me doing it and so it's good. There you go. But uh it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again everyone for listening. As always, we'd love you to give us a review. Um, I I don't ask anything big. It's out of five. So try for. think of it as a 10-point scale. I've mentioned this in the past. If you really like it, give it 10. Oh, you can't do it. Round it down to five. Perfect. If you didn't think it wasn't the greatest one, uh, well, we'll give it a five. We'll just leave it at five. That's a person. Just think of it like that. If you've got any questions, you can always find me on Instagram and Facebook at NoBreaking. And if you've got any suggestions, we always love to hear them. And as always, we just want to hear... Hopefully you guys are listening next time we're here. So thanks again for everyone there out there. Bye bye.